aspect of grant writing, I think we we tend to overlook, particularly I have an English major, uh, I mm -hmm. like to write, is the financial aspect. And budgets matter, your grant budget matters. And so as you're thinking about being grant ready, also make sure that you have the ability to create program budgets, the ability to provide up-to-date financials, all of those other attachments that funders ask for tell just as much of a story about your work as your words. Hi, everyone. I'm Tristan McIver, Program Advisor here at AMC MPO Solutions. Today on the Strategic Nonprofit, we will be learning about how to optimize grant writing for your organization. I've invited Catherine Ashton on the podcast today. Catherine is a nonprofit growth coach that works with micro and startup not-for-profits. She's a native Texan and the founder and CEO of Giant Squid Group, which offers grant writing and coaching to help organizations build stronger grant programs. Welcome to the Strategic Nonprofit Podcast, Catherine. Here at AMC, we do a lot of live webinars and virtual training for nonprofits across Canada. If you're looking for virtual governance training or strategic planning for your NPO, drop me a message and I'll be happy to go over options with you. More details are in the show notes. Thanks so much for having me, Trista. I am very happy to be here. Excellent. Can you share a little bit more about your role at Giant Squid Group uh, for our listeners? Absolutely. I founded Giant Squid Group LLC about three and a half years ago, really with the intent to support small and startup nonprofits, because I saw how many nonprofits were reinventing the wheel, particularly mm -hmm. when it came to fundraising. That came after my own experience being in the industry for 10 years and seeing the same questions asked over again, the same mistakes being made, and how many resources were really scrambling for money rather than focusing on their missions. So the more I, I fundraised and uh, understood the art and the craft of fundraising, the more I realized that people come to nonprofit work because of their passion, not because they want to be fundraisers but that if you want to have a thriving nonprofit, you really need to know how to resource it. So today, Giant Squid Group, we're headquartered in Austin, Texas and Chicago, Illinois, and we work largely with nonprofits that have about under a million and a half dollar budget in Canada and the United States. And we do that through an intersectional feminist and anti-racist lens. So we're really focused on helping the nonprofits that have boots on the ground and are having systemic impact on their local communities. Excellent. So you talked a little bit about, um, uh, you know, how, what your organization does. So how can an organization, say, um, expand their grant program past core funders? Such a good question. And it's, it's hard and it takes time. So it can be very, very frustrating. Initially, a lot of nonprofits, you know, they, they get some first grants or they want to start getting grants and they just start applying for everything. So I think the first thing that someone needs to do if they're new to the grants game, regardless of the maturity of their organization and regardless of the maturity of their programs is to make sure they're grant ready. Or even if they have been winning grants, but they're not able to win new grants and they feel like they're kind of skating with the funders they have, make sure that they're grant ready. So that means, does their case for support, you know, their statement of need, whatever you want to call it, actually say what they're doing and what problems they're addressing? Or does it just say, we need money, please give us money? Because that's not compelling to funders. And it's very, very easy, I think, for nonprofits to forget that they really need to be articulating not only their work, but how their work is changing the problem that they see. So that's always one of the number one things we do is how are you making the world a better place? Really articulate that. 
And then what qualitative and quantitative data can you bring in to prove that your work is going to have an impact? The second thing that they really need to do to get grant ready is take a look at those goals and objectives and evaluation metrics, which again, even if you're evaluating your programs and even if you do have organizational wide goals or OKRs, if they're not in a way that funders can clearly understand, funders are going to have a hard time seeing your roadmap to programmatic success. So really making sure that there are clear goals and objectives, even if they're output driven, is a great way to show funders that you actually will use their money wisely. So getting all your ducks in a row is always a first step to really reinvigorating a grants program. And I always tell founders, executive directors, development directors, you're doing this work. If your programs are having an impact and you know that your programs team or your leadership team is doing the work that you wanna do, you don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to grants. It might just be articulating it a little more clearly. Mm, I see. Now you mentioned about programmatic work. Can you explain a little bit more about that? So I, I, I kind of know the term, but if you could um, yes, explain yes. a little bit. By programmatic work, I mean the actual work you're doing day in and day out. So for instance, if you are uh, an after school program and you have a program that's helping third graders learn how to read, that's your program. And I have absolute confidence that everyone who's running those programs knows what they need to do to get the outcomes they want, which is third graders learning how to read. But then when we talk to, to funders, we become these weird robots of, we need money to support our work and we're gonna have these lofty goals of changing the world when really you could just say, our goal is to help 100 students be able to read at grade level by the end of the year. And we're going to measure that through their grades or through surveys. So just saying what you do day to day is something that for some reason becomes very intimidating and muddled when we start talking about grants. Right, right. So I know you had mentioned earlier in the conversation just about being grant grant ready. Now, you said that you sh that an organization should have it in the forefront and not really I guess an afterthought. Um how would that how would that sort of benefit benefit an organization. Could you explain that a little bit more? Absolutely. So we don't want grant writing to be, as you said, an afterthought because for many reasons. The first is it takes time and energy. And the last thing we want executive directors or program officers or really anyone doing is writing grants at 11 o'clock at night after they're burned out, wondering where they're going to get the information from, which I'm sure everyone has done, will do. We always have those, those crunch times. But part of being grant ready is also having a grants program as part of your development strategy and not just this, oh, there's a grant, I'm gonna apply for it. So that starts with, like I said, the language. Do you have a grant boilerplate, which is something that we really encourage all of our partners to have? Do you have one document that is a template of your core programs, the what you do every day, your history, your mission, your vision, your case for support, everything that a funder might wanna talk about, knowing of course that every application is different and you'll have to tailor it. But if you can pull from that document that has how many people you serve, the expected outcomes of your work, you're going to save so much time by not having to rewrite from scratch every time you sit down. So having that boilerplate to me is as close to magic as you can get when it comes to systematizing your grants program. And of course, another huge part of being grant ready and having a successful grant organization is being organized. We usually, when we teach grant writing courses, say, 
It's about 25% being a good writer and 75% answering the questions, having the time to pull all the required attachments, whether they're financial attachments, board lists, uh, theories of change, logic models, and 50% just having the right prospects in your calendar. So being organized, knowing what you have coming up next week, next month, next quarter is also a really great way to build that program so that you're able to put your best foot forward. Because when we do find ourselves writing grants at 11 o'clock at night, the day before they're due, we're rushing, we're sloppy, we make mistakes, and the language is probably not clearly representing the actual work we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. The crunch, the crunch time. Yes. And it sounds so <laughs> obvious, but in the nonprofit world, we're so good at wearing so many hats and getting stretched too thin. And it is very easy to push the grants off until the last minute. And that might keep you going. That might keep the wheel going. But to grow, to find new investors, new innovative collaborations, and new ways to really grow your footprint and reach takes some strategy. Yeah, I am a big fan of templates and spreadsheets, as um, my bosses will know, and also just having those resources in one place. So um, same for me. When I was running a not-for-profit uh, child care organization, we were applying for grants. So I had our bylaws, our the information about our directors, all of that in um, folders at that time because we didn't we weren't so internet savvy at that point, but, you know, just having all those things ready and available to, to be able to just sort of like plunk it in. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I always ask our partners, if you're able to sit down for an hour in between meetings or maybe a whole afternoon to work, do you know what you need to work on? And I think that absolutely translates to grants. Do you know what grants are coming up? Have you talked to the funder about their funding priorities? Do you know what programs you're gonna talk about? Or are you sitting down and kind of looking for, oh, I know there's a report coming up that I need to write. And so the more that you treat it and incorporate it into your strategic plan, into your development plan, into your overall work, the more you're able to really consider it a program and the more that funders are really going to be able to invest in your work. That's an interesting point you just made about talking to the funder. So, you know, a lot of people just write grants and they, you know, they don't know who, don't know who the people are. Uh, It could be a government um, grant, which is hard to really talk to somebody. But, you know, if it's a funder, how, how would you suggest kind of building those relationships with potential, potential funders or program officers Absolutely. It's it's such a powerful tool, and it's a tool that that many folks that are newer to the grants world, even if they've been doing nonprofit work for a long time, feel Mm -hmm. a little afraid of, I think. I mean, one, I'm a millennial. We don't talk on the phone anymore. But two, there's this perception that, well, we can't call the grantor. They don't want to talk to us. And it couldn't be farther from the Mm -hmm. truth. You know, earlier in our conversation, I said that being grant ready is almost 50% having the right grant opportunities. It might even be more than that, but it's a lot. And so how do you build those relationships? Well, it starts with making sure that your grant pipeline, your prospect list, whatever you want to call it, is actually qualified. It is so common for us to see child welfare and start just applying because we work with children and not taking the time to really drill down and see what the funder's looking for. So that first step is, are we truly aligned with their funding priorities? Are we looking at the location and seeing, do they fund nationally? Do they fund state by state, you know, here in the US? Do they fund 
county by county, zip code, neighborhood, at what level are they funding? And more and more, I'm seeing now, uh, funders that are funding even specific neighborhoods, really micro impact, which can mean if you're one neighborhood over and you're doing similar work, you still might not be a good fit. So before you take the time to write that grant and put that those hours and hours of work into it, make, make sure that you're in the funder's footprint. And if you're not sure, call them. There's one great entryway to just say, hey, I, I see that you fund in these specific areas. I think we're in your footprint, but I'm not quite sure. They'll appreciate the clarification and you will save yourself so much time because otherwise you're a guaranteed no if you apply for something that's not a fit. The same with population. It's one thing to say we work with animals. Okay, are we talking whales or are we talking kittens? Because there's a big difference there. If we're talking kittens, are we talking about a specific type of program? Are we talking about a specific breed of cats, for example? Getting very, very specific about who you work with is very helpful. And often that could be looking at, say, an organization that works with women and children. Down here, we have a lot of organizations in Texas that work with first-generation Latinx women and their children. That could be very different than a domestic violence shelter or a um, job organization or dress for success. Again, it's not a judgment on your work. It's not saying that you're not doing the right thing. It's just not a match with those funders' priorities. And then lastly, really looking at the target programs that they fund health and wellness, mental health, community revitalization, whatever it is, making sure you're really aligned. That is going to reduce your prospect list to probably a lot less than it currently is when you do that work, but it also means that your likelihood for funding is higher. So once you've vetted those prospects and really made sure they're a good fit, I always encourage folks to just send an email or call the program officer listed on the website and say, we have this program, here's what we do. I think it's in strong alignment with your work. Would that be accurate? Can we submit a proposal? Sometimes you'll get a terse, yes, we accept proposals, read the website. But as you continue to, <laughs> Trist is laughing because it's true. Um, <laughs> But no one's going to like hang up the phone. Be like, how dare you call us? You know, worst thing they're going to say is submit a proposal. Often, as you build your thought leadership, which if you're running a nonprofit, you are probably building thought leadership, credibility, and trust in the community. You'll be able to have real conversations with funders about their initiatives. Oh, we're really interested in mental health. I see that you're doing this. Let's talk about what might be a good fit. It's also great because some program officers really want to help get the right proposals in front of their board. And so they'll tell you, we're really focused on prevention, drug prevention, whatever it is, rescuing kittens. Talk about that part of your program specifically. Stress this part of your program. They're not as interested in dogs. Don't talk about that as much. And so you're not skewing your proposal for them, but that program officer is really giving you inside information on their deepest funding priorities. And that to me is such a powerful conversation to have because even if you get a decline, you've gone through such a robust process and doing that process of that prospect research, reaching out to the funder and then submitting a very, very strong proposal is going to set you up for success. 
Absolutely. No, I love that. I was going to ask you who should you talk to, but you you covered that. So the program coordinator or whoever is the contact um, on the in the information of the grant. And yes, aligning yourself, that is huge. Because um, with, you know, with government grants or funders, that everybody seems to have a grant and and it's available there. Um, sometimes there's funders that'll just do a one-off because you've made an impact in them. But then you want to have, you know, many different options open for uh, ways to get to get funding for your program. So that's that's really great, um, you know, that you touched on that because it's so important. It's, you know, it's a business. you got to run it like a business. It's a sales. Absolutely. you got to sell your stuff. So those are the, you know, those are the key things that I, th- I think that, you know, will be, um, this is really good information for for our listeners so thank you yes. so much and and no. keep in mind that yeah. many many first time proposals are declined it's oh, yeah. at a certain point it's a numbers game i've seen that number be you know 80% 75% of first time proposals are declined it's it's a high percentage i don't want anyone writing grants that are a long shot or writing grants that they haven't qualified because it's not a good use of your passion your time your energy and your resources and it's going to mean you're submitting a lot of grants that really don't stand a chance. I'd rather you call the funders. I'd rather you be looking at having your logic model updated, be doing the work you really need to do and the right grants will find you and you will find the right grants. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is the best way to, you know, cause then you make an impact um, on, on them possibly, you know, they might, you know, remember your name at least and then also you're targeting exactly the initiative that they're looking at funding absolutely and yeah it just makes more more of an impact so what what kind of um, language would you say um sort of to refine the the grant process now you now you did talk about targeting their initiative is there anything else that you could suggest um that could help with that grant writing process Absolutely. Once you get to the language, keeping in mind that you have to do everything else before then or the language doesn't matter, talk like a human being. It is amazing how the smartest people become weird robots when they write grants. (laughs) And it's like we are an exceptional organization empowering communities to change. I don't know what that means and the funders don't know what that means. So tell me what you're doing. And I, I always encourage folks to lean uh, lean towards talking like a human being, even if it seems informal. You can always go back and make your language a little more formal. This is not an academic thesis. And I think we tend to think of grants as being very stodgy and af- academic and formal. But if you write that way and you don't actually have a clear statement, it's just word vomit and it's, it's not gonna get funded. And I'm being very blunt here because I read so many grants and do so many grant writing workshops where I'm saying, if you took me out for coffee and told me what you do, I would have chills down my spine. I look at your website and I see pictures and stories and I'm practically in tears. I read your grant and I'm asleep. So what happened? So the first thing is talk like a human being. The second thing is answer the questions. I I said, have a boilerplate. Don't just copy and paste that boilerplate without reading the questions. Every single grant I have ever written for the last 15 years has been different, which is infuriating and challenging when sometimes you have a 75 word count and you have to describe your whole history. However, 
if a funder asks you a question, they, they need the answer. And so really just making sure that you're able to set aside what you think you should say, or perhaps what your ego wants you to say, or what you said in the last grant and answering the grantor's questions is such a great way to write a strong grant. And the third thing I would say is keep it simple. Of course, you want to be able to clearly articulate your theory of change, your impact and all of that, but don't try to bring in a whole bunch of verbiage or metrics that don't apply. So really keep it simple and easy to understand. When a grantor is reading this, they're, this is not the only grant they're reading. Many grantors get hundreds, if not thousands of applications. And so to pair, go through all of those is laborious. They're reading a lot of long grant applications. So making it as easy as possible for someone who doesn't intimately know your program to digest is another great way to stand out. And lastly, look at not falling into these platitudes of we're saving the world, we're saving at-risk children, we're you know, saving the planet, really talk about, again, what you're doing in a way that is honest, pragmatic, and true, and don't feel like you have to have a bunch of buzzwords to, I don't know, make the funders happy. Just don't use buzzwords. Perfect. So um, you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation about like 85% of your first grant will be rejected. And I'm sure it's a lot more than that <laughs> as, as people go, you know, people go along. So what like, how do you handle the rejection of that? What what would you suggest would be? Uh, yes. How to, how to get past that? Because it's so hard. Building and growing a grants program is an exercise in patience. If mm -hmm. you're already fundraising, you know that you have to develop a thick skin and not take the rejections personally. But again, even after doing this for 15 years, it could still be really, really frustrating and sad to get a decline, particularly if you thought you were a good fit. That's why I, I, I really do encourage people to be picky about what grants they apply to and to go through all the pre-work. Is it a good fit? Can they answer the questions? Do they have time? Have they reached out to the funder before they apply so that the number of grants you apply for might be less, but your likelihood of funding is higher? I also hate to see people really, really struggling with grants and not having all the information and taking a bunch of time on something that's a long shot. So be okay with potentially saying it's not the right time to apply to this grant because I can't do it justice or I know it's a long shot and my energy would be better else, better spent launching a monthly giving program or taking a major donor out to lunch. So make sure that you're not putting all of your eggs in the proverbial grant basket. And I think that rejection is unfortunately just part of nonprofit fundraising. So getting a little bit into the personal, don't take it personally. You know, understand that it is a business, like you said, and those funders have rubrics and metrics and funding priorities they're looking at. And at that point, it wasn't a fit. It's not a condemnation of your work. It's not uh, judgment of your worth as a thought leader, as someone who's working in the social justice field, it's just business. It will always be disappointing. I wish I had some profound answer, but I really do think it's just being pragmatic and focusing on what you can control, which is the quality of grants you write and the grants that you choose to submit. I think that's beautiful advice. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. One aspect of grant writing I think we, we tend to overlook, particularly I have an English major, uh, I like to write, is the financial aspect. And 
budgets matter. Your grant budget matters. And so as you're thinking about being grant ready, also make sure that you have the ability to create program budgets, the ability to provide up-to-date financials, all of those other attachments that funders ask for tell just as much of a story about your work as your words. Sometimes even more, because you might have some very beautiful words that you, you spin and your financials you are just what they are. And so in the same way that I don't want you to leave your grants calendar and your prospecting to the 11th hour, don't have your budgets be an afterthought because a sloppy budget that doesn't add up or doesn't answer what the funder says or isn't in the right template will also potentially cause you to be disqualified or declined. And so if that's an area where you feel weak, I know I certainly felt that way when I started working in this field, find someone who's good at it, maybe your treasurer has it. Maybe you have a CPA who can help, or it's a skill that you can develop yourself and make sure that you are truly reflecting everything about your organization when you're building your grants program. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been great having you on the podcast today. I've learned so much too, you know, about just the, the similarities between um, a sales and a, you know, role and say not what a not-for-profit has to do in a sales type role to sell themselves. So that's very, very, very enlightening. (laughs) Thank you you so much for having me, Trista. This was fabulous. And I hope that everyone goes and writes some amazing grants. (laughs) Excellent. Um, so to learn more, uh, about Catherine and and what her company does, uh, we will have some information in, in the show notes. So thanks for joining us. Catherine, and we'll see you next time.